Jesus is pretty awesome. Good morning, church family. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask it to our other campuses too, Cincy, Bainbridge, online. I'm going to have you raise your hand if you feel fully rested this morning. <laughs> what are all the laughs about? <laughs> there's some hands. I don't know if there's hands at our other campuses. Uh, there's some hands. We're very jealous of those few of you. The rest of us, what's our problem? Right? You're like, don't ask me. I'm too tired. I don't want to talk about it. Not rested. So, so here's the thing. We, we, we really genuinely have a cultural issue, and, and I couldn't raise my hand either. We have a cultural issue when it comes to rest. We live in a culture that has taught us how to go too fast, too hard, too long. And we just have an unhealthy pace. Most of us, most of the time. We, we want to kick back and just experience rest, so we watch shows and movies, and then we experience screen fatigue. Right? We, we try to enjoy weekends, but Monday rolls around and we are not recharged. So we look forward to vacations, and we get back, and we're like, I need a vacation to recover from vacation. And ultimately, we're just a caffeine-drinking, adrenaline-living, restless generation. And we haven't figured out how to do life healthy, how to do life sustainable. I heard someone say recently that every bad decision he has ever made when he looked back on his life, it was when he was tired. And I think the problem is we're just too tired too often. And so this is why we're doing this series on rest. Sabbath is divine rest, rest from God, and we're learning how to enter true rest. We've talked about emotional rest, We've talked about relational rest. We've talked about physical rest. But there is one more type of rest we need to be fully healthy. And that's the way that we wrap up this series, is learning about one more type of rest, that if you have all the other three and you're missing this one, you are not rested. Want to find out what this other type of rest is? Okay, and if you're just too tired, just take, take a nap and you'll feel rested in 30 minutes. Otherwise, join me in your copy of the scripture, Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look back at Hebrews. We've been parked in this book this month. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. If you want to grab a chair Bible and use that, you can. It's page 966 in a chair Bible. And if you would like to take that Bible home with you, please do. It's our gift to you. We would love to give you a copy of the Word of God. So this is an, an anonymous letter to people that we'll talk about in just a few minutes, and it's called the book or the letter of Hebrews. And we started looking at chapter 4 last week and looking at emotional rest, but there is a deeper, more significant type of rest that's being offered here, and you really got to read more into chapter 4 than we did last week to find that. So Let's read, and here's what I want to do. If we happen to stumble on the word rest as we're reading through the first half of chapter 4, would you just kind of say it with me? So I'll, I'll read it out loud, but as we hit the word rest, if we do hit one, say it out loud with me, okay? Here we go. God's promise of entering his rest, you got it, still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest 
has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this, do you see a theme here? Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Interesting. There is a rest that God has promised that has been ready since the creation of the world, and he wants people to experience it. We know that it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Now, did God rest because he was tired? Of course not. He rested to show us how. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this, you're fading on me. Now, if God, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this, God would not have spoken about another day of still to come. So there is a special Interesting. There is a special rest. Some of your Bibles, your translations say there's a special rest. There is a Sabbath rest. Still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. What do you think God wants his people to do? Yeah, it's kind of clear. There is a rest that God has offered to his people that is longed for and desired, I would argue, by every single human being on earth. And that is a rest that God tells us we can miss. The author of Hebrews tells us we can miss. So, so let me give you a little context to what's just written here. The author of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians. These are people who grew up under the, 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 the religion of Jew, uh, Judaism, followed all the rules, had been set free by Jesus, but what happened after they became Christians is they began to experience hostility from other Jews. They began to experience persecution. And they're, right now, as this is being written to them, they were contemplating walking back into Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is trying to show them that Jesus is better than Moses, that Christianity is better than Judaism, that they don't want to go back. They don't want to return to what they had. Jesus offers a better sacrifice than the sacrificial system. He offers a better priesthood than the Levitical system. He, he's a better prophet than Moses. And if you could summarize the entire book of Hebrews in three words, it would go like this. Jesus is better. And that's what the, the author's trying to say. Jesus is better. Like, whatever you're thinking of going back into, just remember, Jesus is better. You've tasted him. 
Jesus is better. You've experienced him. Jesus is better. You really want to go back to experience peace and a better life, and you'll get that. But what you'll miss and what you'll lose is something internally that only God can give, and it's this thing called rest. There's some type of rest that Jesus, who's better than any other religion or any other program or any other attempt, there's something that Jesus is offering, and you only get it by being in Jesus. And if you walk away for a more restful life, you're going to miss some other type of rest. And the type of rest that he's talking about here is spiritual rest. Now, innately, I think almost every human being, maybe every human being, knows that when it comes to spiritual spiritual things, we have a spiritual problem. And our spiritual problem is that I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel good enough to get into heaven. I don't feel good enough to be close to God. Is that a valid feeling? It is valid because I'm not good enough. Heaven is perfect. i not even close. I go to heaven, I ruin perfect. And so yeah, that's a valid feeling that I think all of us experience is there's this gap between me and God. There's this gap between me and heaven. And, and internally it creates tension. And so that's why there have been all these attempts to bridge that gap. There have been all these attempts to get spiritual rest. And these attempts at spiritual rest, do you know what the word for them are? These attempts? Religion. These are the attempts to get spiritual rest. Let me ask you, how many religions are there as of 2020? Any, any guess? I had to look this up because it changes every year, believe it or not. Uh, but there are now confirmed over 4,000 different religions. And I would argue these are attempts, human attempts, at gaining spiritual rest. This rest that our soul needs, longs for. There's over 4,000 different ways. Now, there's really six or seven main ones. And a lot of them are variations of the main ones. So let me go through the main ones with you real quick. And I think you'll see a pattern developing with religions. One of the oldest religions, the one that is being referenced in Hebrews 4, is Judaism. And the religion of Judaism is famous for giving us the Ten Commandments. And it would be nice if it was that simple. But Judaism is known not for Ten Commandments. Anyone know how many laws Judaism is known for? Some of you are very knowledgeable. That's phenomenal. 613. By the way, you got it. Did you want to list them all for us? <laughs> I mean, you even can ask a devout religious Jew, good luck. 613, you're going to memorize all those? Now, they're not making those up. Those are the commands of Moses. Those are the commands of our Old Testament, 613. So that's why the author of Hebrews is like, you really want to go back to that. You really want to go back to trying to memorize 613 rules that you've got to keep every day. That's the religion of Judaism. Now, another main world religion is, what's this one? Islam, correct, Islam. And in the worldview of a Muslim, how is it that you would somehow attain heaven? What do you need to follow? 
the, well, the Quran, sure, but the, the Quran gives them five pillars. And a Muslim will know, a Muslim will tell you, to attain spiritual rest, to attain heaven, you need to achieve and live by the five pillars. Now, I've talked to Muslim young people at Binghamton University, students, and I have yet to have a Muslim student at Binghamton University tell me all five of the pillars. Which is ironic, they're basing their eternity on it. And I've never had someone tell me more than three of them. Now here's the five, just so you're aware. The, the one is the shahada, it's called, and that's the two statements. There is one God, and Muhammad is his messenger. That's the shahada, you gotta have a belief in that. The other one is prayer, five times a day. The other one is the giving of alms. The other is fasting during the holy month of Ramadan. And the fifth one is a pilgrimage, if you're physically able, once in your life to Mecca in western Saudi Arabia, which is why pre-COVID times, million-plus people every year would make that pilgrimage to Mecca. They have to. It's one of their pillars. It's how they believe they will somehow attain spiritual rest. Another, another main religion is Hinduism. Hinduism. They don't have five pillars. They have four they're called the Parusharthas, and they're the four ways to live a morally good life, ethically and ceremonially. And they believe the soul keeps getting reincarnated. You keep getting reborn. Every time you die, you get being reborn. And it's this endless loop, and you gotta do good things to, re to get reborn to a higher life form. If you're one of those bad people, you get reborn into a mosquito. Okay, And so, I mean, reincarnation, you can study it out. It's this fascinating concept. But they believe that life is this endless loop. You, you die, you're reborn. You die, you're reborn. And the only way you break out of that life is when your soul somehow realizes its true nature, overcomes all of its desires, and is finally liberated from the endless loop of reincarnation. Sound exhausting? It is. It is. There is no spiritual rest in Hinduism. Now, one that you might think there's a lot of rest in is the famous religion of Buddhism. Sure, sure, Buddhism. It, it, it's, it's about meditation and enlightenment, but true enlightenment in Buddhism is, is, a, is an achievement of this concept or this plane of nirvana. And what it is, is when you reach it, you then break out of that loop of reincarnation. Same thing. You're stuck in a loop. And you're trying somehow to overcome desires, settle yourself, and from within, break out of this loop of death, life, death, life, death, life. And although on the outside it may seem very restful, there's an incredible amount of spiritual work to break out of that loop. And they're working, and they're working, and they're working for that rest. Another belief that's actually an ancient one, it's become more common across Europe and now America, is, <laughs> you might think this is a dress-up party, uh, but it's paganism. Paganism, and it's coloring a lot of things even in our country now. Paganism is just the belief that nature is sacred, human life is part of nature, and there's a lot of confusion in paganism about the afterlife. There's not a lot of clarity, and it's more of doing good to nature, doing good to nature, doing good to animals, doing good to the planet. Um, somehow our future is tied up into the future of the planet. That's a scary thought. 
That's why there's a lot of fear out there because there's a lot more people embracing paganism. It's become a religion, the environment. Now, there's another one. It's become probably the predominant one across the West and, and America, and it's humanism. Humanism is a religion, and it's the belief that human thinking can solve the problems of the world. The, the answer to all our spiritual problems is not up there or out there. The answer is in here. And so somehow, in, you know, enlightenment is about achieving, achieving my own desires, my own pleasures, do what I want to do. There's no one who's going to hold me accountable. I can just pursue a life of pleasure. I can pursue a life of education and knowledge, and somehow, some way, I'll reach the pot at the end of the rainbow. The problem with this religion is the harder a person tries to experience happiness through humanism, the more you fail, the more you're miserable. But there is a path that is unlike any others. All the religions of the world are very similar to what we've just looked at. They all have a list of things to do or not do to experience spiritual rest. There is only one path where it's been done. There is only one path that is unlike the others. And, and there's this symbol that marks this one other way. It's a symbol of the cross, and the symbol of the cross is not just an icon. It's, it's, it's a place of work. It's a place of incredible labor. But the beauty of the cross is it's been done. The labor has been done. The work has been done. One of Jesus' final statements on the cross is he looks out at a world filled with people trying to get to God, and he says, it is finished it is finished it is finished on the cross Jesus paid the price in full in full he did what we could never do and the reason that I can have spiritual rest is because Jesus did my work the reason that you can have spiritual rest, my friend, is Jesus did your work. He paid the price you could never pay. You could try to earn your way to heaven, you wouldn't be able to get there. You'd have to go to hell to pay for your sins and it would take all of eternity and you'd still never be pure enough, cleansed enough to somehow jump out into heaven. You could never do it on your own. So Jesus said, I'll do it for you. And as the perfect, sinless Son of God, he paid the price that we could never pay. Now, the irony of all this, the irony of all this is that in Jesus' day, he was such a kind and loving and sympathetic and compassionate person to everyone except for spiritual leaders. And if you want to see a guy unhinged, Look at how Jesus reacted when he got around spiritual leaders. It's crazy. When he met people who, who were leading people down another path, a path of working, a path of spiritual angst and frustration and earning the favor of God, Jesus came unglued. He came unhinged. Some of what he said is not just harsh, it's comical. Look at, look at what he said here. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. By the way, Back then, this was not a compliment either. <laughs> you blind guides. You imagine, blind guide. I mean, how? 
rude. You're, you're trying to guide people, but you can't see. You, and then he says this, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. I mean, the imagery, I mean, people would have burst out laughing, and the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders would have been fuming. You know, they're so careful trying to follow 613 rules of Judaism. And Jesus is like, guys, you're so focused on doing all this work to honor God. And here I am releasing you from it. You're straining out these gnats and you're swallowing a camel. You're trying to earn spiritual rest. And you're not doing it. And you're leading all these other people astray. Look at what Jesus said a different time. He said, and you experts in the law. These were the spiritually elite. These were the respected people of Jesus' day. He said, woe to you. In other words, curse to you. Because you load people down with, the burden, with burdens they can, they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Just like you're loading people down with a weight they can't carry. And you're doing nothing to help them. And yet, here's what was ironic. The people of Jesus' day who were down and out, the people of Jesus' day who were unethical, the people of Jesus' day who were immoral, the people of Jesus' day who were feeble, they loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. People nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And it was the spiritual leaders, it was the religious elite that Jesus kept clashing with and saying, I'm here to offer a new path. Get out of the way. I'm here to offer a new way. Stop misdirecting people. Here's the irony of all this, and here's what I want to get to connected to today's series. There was one major flashpoint between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. One major flashpoint. It was the most controversial thing that they kept trying to accuse Jesus of Jesus' entire ministry. And you know what that flashpoint was? It was Sabbath. Every week, it seems, Jesus would get in trouble because of what he did or didn't do on Sabbath. The irony of this is that Jesus was repeatedly accused of violating Sabbath. Now remember, in the religious worldview in that day, the Sabbath day was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. It was a 24-hour period of rest, and they honored it because Moses told them to honor it because God rested on the seventh day. And they had all these rules about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day, and, and every Sabbath day, it seems Jesus violating another one of their rules. And the irony of it is this. They were humans accusing the creator of the Sabbath of breaking the Sabbath. I mean, how bizarre is that, right? The one who created them is literally there in flesh. He created them, he created the Sabbath, and they're pointing at him saying, you're violating the Sabbath. And he's like, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're accusing me of. And Jesus finally got to the heart of the matter one day, and he did a drop-the-mic statement. He said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, this is really deep. But what Jesus is saying is all of, all of the rules that you have attached to Sabbath day have turned it into a burden, and it was meant to be a gift. Religion was meant to be a path to God, and you have turned it into an obstacle. 
You are loading people down with restrictions and rules that they cannot keep. And Jesus said the heart of God is that you can enter into his rest. He gave the Sabbath as a gift. And you've turned the gift into a curse. You've turned the rest into work. And you're missing the whole point. And then you get to Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews says, I'm going to take this one step further. One step further. Here's why you guys are missing out on the Sabbath. It's because the Sabbath isn't a day. The Sabbath is a person. And his name is Jesus. And if you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from rest. If you walk away from Jesus and you follow another path, you try to achieve somehow through your own living and your own doing, your own way to God, you walk away from the only one who can deposit rest directly into your soul. And Jesus spoke to a culture weighed down under the regulations of religion. And Jesus was very clear. Come to me. I am your Sabbath. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. How many conversations have you had lately about, man, are you just tired of this COVID thing yet? You just worn out by the politics yet? You're just exhausted by the mess in our world, right? And, and so it's so easy to get weighed down by the mess around us. And Jesus is like, whoa, come to me. Stop looking to the weekends and the vacations and the evenings and the time off and start looking to me. I am your rest. Come to me, those of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. My friend, if you want true rest, spiritual rest, rest of the soul, you'll never get it unless you go to Jesus Christ. But let me word that a different way. If you, if you want it, go to Jesus Christ and you'll experience it. Look at what Jesus also said. He said, take my yoke upon you because I'm gentle and humble at heart and you will find rest, and he wants to clarify here, for your souls. He might not make your schedule better, but he'll do something inside of you that no one else can do and nothing else can give you. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus himself was saying, I will give you rest. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is getting to is Jesus was trying to tell us he is our Sabbath. Let me do me a favor just real quick. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is your Sabbath. Tell, just tell them that. All our campuses. That was really, really weak. <laughs> tell them like you mean it. Jesus is your Sabbath. Jesus is your Sabbath. Jesus is your rest. Jesus is your rest from religion, from striving, from good works, from trying to deal with the inadequacy of your soul, from trying to please God. Jesus is your rest from all of it. 
Only Jesus sets you free. Religion, my friend, says do. Jesus says done. Well, there you go. (laughs) Jesus says done. Jesus says it is finished. Don't miss some of his last words. It is finished. Now listen, here's the challenge this morning. The challenge is you and I get that a lot of people who aren't following Jesus don't get this rest. They, 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 they don't get it, they don't experience it, and so we, we pray for them, we preach the good news to them of Jesus and want to show them the way, but I think the tension and the challenge is those of us who follow Jesus still don't walk in this rest very often, do we? It's almost like, you know, that day we have where we have the eureka moment. We come to Jesus, and whatever it was like for you, we see the light, call it what you want, we receive Jesus, and a lot of people describe it as it's like a weight fell off. Curious, how many of you experienced that when you came to Jesus, like a weight fell off? Okay, a bunch of you did, interesting. And that's a common thing I hear too, like a weight fell off. Now listen, here's the challenge though, is we come to Jesus, the weight falls off, the guilt of our sin and all that, and then we stand up and we're like, okay, time to get to work. And then I'm going to work the rest of my life. And the challenge is, here's what we're missing. The way that we're saved is the way we should live. Let me word it a different way. When I'm saved, I'm not doing anything. I'm giving up. I'm surrendering. I'm supposed to live that way. In this attitude of I give up, I surrender, I'm only going to live through you because I can do nothing on my own. Listen, my salvation was not my work. It was Jesus' work. He did it for me, 100% of the work. I did nothing. I can't brag that I'm saved because I didn't do a thing. And the same should be true of my life and my walk with God. I bring nothing. It's all Jesus through me. In fact, Scripture says, he who started the work in you will be faithful to complete it. The work of faith that started in your heart on the day of your salvation was Jesus' work, and it's still Jesus' work today. He will do the work. Scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. You say, well, what is it that you're, that's not of yourself? Grace, saved, or faith? Which is not of yourself? The answer is yes. The grace God gave you is not of yourself. The salvation he gave you is not of yourself. The faith he gave you is not of yourself. It's all a gift. Because he did the work. And he continues to do the work. And I think this message of Sabbath and Jesus being our Sabbath is a message that should ring in my heart just as much as in the heart of an unbeliever. Because I came to Jesus for spiritual rest one day in my past, but then I got up and I got to work and I got too busy. And I feel the pressure and the weight of things that Jesus took. And I shouldn't be still caring. I want you to think in the scriptures 
there is a story of a man who was one of the most religious, faithful men of integrity, who was zealous for his pursuit of God, and zealous to, to do anything that would, that would allow the reputation of God to be clean and pure and famous. And this is a guy named Saul. And Saul spent his life doing things that made him highly respected in the religious circles. But one day, on the road to do more work for God, guess what happened? Jesus showed up, blinded him. Saul could not see. He tells this story three times in the book of Acts. This is a phenomenal account. Paul cannot see. He is blinded, and Jesus sets him straight. And here's what Jesus says to Saul, who never even saw him. It was just this bright light. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I know that's a weird way to say it. You're like, what is that? Okay, kicking against the goads is a, ta- is a term instantly Saul would have understood in his culture. Because back in his culture, there were beasts of burden that did the work in the fields. Beasts of burden, oxen. And the people that would drive the oxen, these beasts of burden, the way you would drive an oxen is not by saying, hey, come here, Charlie. Come here, boy. You wouldn't call an oxen. How would you drive oxen? You would use a goad. This is a goad. And they'd follow along, and they'd use this goad if they'd go out of line, and they'd use it. It's fairly painful looking. This is not something you'd use to spank your kids. This was for oxen. And what would happen is when the oxen were stubborn, when the oxen didn't want to go where the master was telling them to go, he would goad them. You've heard the phrase, stop goading someone. You goad them, right? You hit them and you try to get them in line. And the oxen that were stubborn would kick the goad. Well, that wasn't a good idea. You don't want to kick against one of these because you're going to get more of it. And so Paul is being told here by Jesus, he's like, Paul, it's got to be really hard for you to keep kicking against the goad. I'm trying to lead you, and you keep working hard for me, doing your own thing. Just come to me. And God that day took away Saul's sight temporarily until Saul surrendered to Jesus. And the day Saul surrendered to Jesus, his personality didn't change. He was still a hard-driven, type-A personality. But the day he surrendered to Jesus, you know what he found? He found rest for his soul. Now, did it make his life easier? His life probably got harder. But he had something that he was always searching for. Finally, he had rest for his soul. And for Saul, that changed everything because he found peace with God through Jesus Christ. Sabbath has nothing to do with how busy your life is. It has nothing to do with how difficult your home is, how challenging your work is, how dysfunctional your family is, how broken or good your marriage is. It has nothing to do with that. Sabbath of the soul is about something Jesus deposits directly through all that into your soul. And when you have it, you know it. It's like a weight is off. And you respond differently to life when it hits because you're living in Jesus. And when you live in Jesus, you live in rest.
I want to tell you about a guy who probably is one of the best examples I've ever heard of this kind of rest. Probably this guy understood Sabbath rest in a way I, I might never. His name was Horatio. He lived in Chicago in the 1800s. He was a wealthy businessman. He had a comfortable life. He had a wife and four daughters. And in the late 1800s, disaster struck his city. The Chicago fire, the great Chicago fire, broke out, killed many people, destroyed many properties, including many of Horatio's properties. And it was just a devastating time for his city. Two years later, two years later, he heard that his friend, D.L. Moody, famous preacher, was going to be preaching in England. And he just realized, I need to get my family away for a family holiday, a family vacation. And so he bought tickets to go on this family holiday, this family vacation. At the last minute, as they were going to leave for the trip, he got caught up in some business. And so he said, you go on ahead, I'll, I'll catch up to you. So his wife and four daughters board the ship and sail for England. On the way, another tragedy. November 21st, 1873, their ship collided with another ship and it sank within minutes. His wife, Anna, was found unconscious, floating on some wood, and she was rescued. His four daughters, 12-year-old Anna, 7-year-old Margaret, 4-year-old Elizabeth, and 18-month-old Tanetta drowned that day. His wife made it she landed in Wales and cabled her husband this following telegram. Saved alone, what shall I do? He immediately left Chicago to go bring his wife home. And as he was crossing the Atlantic, the, the ship's captain came to Horatio at his cabin, called him to his cabin and said, I want to let you know this is the spot where your wife's ship went down. And there at the watery grave of his four young girls, this grieving father sat down and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so, it is well, it is well with my soul. Can you say that today? If a man passing over the watery graves of his four young daughters can somehow say it as well with my soul. 
maybe I can learn to say that too. Would you bow with me this morning? Let me ask you, my friend, are you living in spiritual rest? Have you experienced the rest that Jesus can offer? He is holding himself out to you. He has said, you don't have to work anymore. I have done it all. Religion says do. And Jesus says done. Today, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive you. He will give you as a gift a promise of a home in heaven. And he will give you rest for your soul. If you are a follower of Jesus today, let me encourage you to sing a new song, to sing a song about it being well with your soul. To not just look back to your salvation as the day where you surrendered, but to live every day in that same surrender, realizing that Jesus has done all the work. You can never gain more favor with God. You can never make him love you more. You can never gain a higher plane in heaven. He loves you as much today as he will ever love you. He accepts you as much as he will ever accept you. He did all the work to let you be at peace with God. Are you living in spiritual Sabbath? My friends, I believe that if we live that way, Jesus will allow us to say through the storms of life, it is well with my soul. Father, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.